1: and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Communities and government agencies are increasingly facing boundary-crossing challenges, such as natural disasters, homelessness, and pandemics, which require the efforts of many organizations and groups to address them effectively. New techniques and processes are needed to make sense of the challenging situations involving complex interconnected issues and multiple organizations. Strategy mapping at scale is a boundary-crossing process designed to create direction, alignment, and commitment across agencies at the scale of the challenge or issue to be addressed. And one of the most promising techniques for facilitating strategy management at scale is strategy mapping. What is strategy mapping? How can it help leaders better understand and respond to complex challenges? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Professor John Bryson, author of the IBM Center Report, Addressing Complex and Cross-Boundary Challenges in Government, The Value of Strategy Mapping. John, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
2: Uh, Well, it's good to be here. So,
1: John, you know, we work closely on your recent report for the IBM Center addressing complex cross-boundary challenges in government, the value of strategic mapping. I was hoping you could, to set the context for our audience, tell us more about what is strategic management at scale and how does it differ
2: from strategic management of a single organization? Uh, sure, I'm happy to do that. But let me refer to the first one, to uh, strategy management, as it's usually talked about, uh, as uh, organizational strategy management. So it's basically focused on an organization and what it thinks it uh, ought to do, given its circumstances. And the other one I'll call strategy management at scale, which is goes beyond any single organization, involves often multiple organizations. So organizational strategic management usually focuses on finding a sustainable position in a particular niche. Um, So this usually means doing something very special for a a limited group of stakeholders and not trying to do anything more than that, particularly. So in organizational strategic management, there's a people are seeking, uh, people meaning leaders, Are seeking agreement and alignment around an organizational mission and vision that provides the, the basis for creating implementable, sustainable strategies that are likely to be successful in the way that the organization defines a success and will satisfy its key stakeholders. So that's the way people typically think about strategy management. Strategy management scale is at scale is 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 really quite different. So if if you're working on strategy management at scale, the starting point is understanding the dynamics of whatever the complex issues or systems are that are prompting the challenge and understanding how a set of typically interrelated changes could make a difference in the system or subsystems, whatever they are, and produce desired outcomes that no single organization could produce by itself. So in strategy management at scale, you have lots of organizations, and if they are aligned or even collaborating, you can get magnified effects out of uh, these organizations tackling the overarching challenge to be addressed. So one, one difference is that in organizational strategy management, there's always a focus on getting a really specifically designed mission, a specifically designed vision. Often these days, there's an emphasis on uh, smart goals. And that's not the focus of strategy management at scale. And strategy management scale, you're trying to agree on high level goals, broad strategic outlines, principles that provide a basis for multiple organizations to uh, somehow co-align their efforts in a way that those high-level goals are achieved. So that's maybe kind of a (laughs) long-winded description of the difference, but I I hope it captures uh, uh, some of the differences.
1: Absolutely, and it's a great segue into my next question, which before we get into defining, actually, for our audience what strategic mapping is, you kind of laid it out there in a sense that how does it facilitate um, leaders and the group together uh, moving from thinking to acting?
2: Yeah in strategizing there are two really very big challenges one one is just coming up with good ideas worth implementing that can be implemented so that's the that's the thinking piece um but the other the other part of that is that you have to somehow come up with a coalition that's large enough and strong enough to adopt those ideas and protect them and nurture them during implementation so that if you just have good ideas, but you don't have that coalition, you have what I would call a New Year's resolution. If you just have the coalition, and it's organized around bad ideas, that is really bad because they're going to happen. So the challenge is is trying to find a way to get get both good ideas worth implementing that can be implemented, and the coalition that's committed to to taking action. And mapping as a as a process. Uh, typically engages a fairly significant number of stakeholders or actors and helps them think together better in order to come up with the ideas that they can all support that when implemented will make headway against whatever the challenge is that uh, that they're addressing. That's great to lead it to my next question, John, because I want to set some
1: context. In, In your report, you point out quite eloquently Why would I use strategic mapping at scale and strategic mapping – strategy mapping management at scale and strategic mapping uh, in general as a tool? And it's because we're dealing today with cross-boundary sort of challenges, and they're more ubiquitous today. I was wondering why are these challenges, type of challenges, these complex challenges so ubiquitous? And perhaps you can describe for us in detail some of the most pressing cross-boundary challenges.
2: Uh, sure. Um, the world is—it's—it's it's kind of a, a a cliche or a truism, truism nowadays that nowadays that the world is just much more interconnected, and so things that we used to think of as, uh, say, specifically an education problem, <laughs> uh, we'd have school systems uh, deal with that, or if it's a a, um, a criminal pro- justice problem, we'd have a police department deal with that. Or if it's a water quality problem, we'd have have some department deal with it. But nowadays, uh, because of all the interconnections and the fact that there's just a whole lot more people around and uh, technologies around than there were uh, some decades ago, the world is just more tightly interconnected. And so you get all these changes. Changes kind of anywhere can reverberate uh, unexpectedly and sometimes in quite magnified ways. In other parts of the system, so um, you'd ask for a couple of examples. So, when a a recent example that we that we've all lived through is the COVID nineteen pandemic, which involved everybody, (laughs) you know, not just the public health department. Uh, It involved large parts of the federal government, state governments, businesses had to had all sorts of things to deal with uh, schools you name it kind of everybody had to had a role to play in either helping address the pandemic or making it worse and nowadays i've just been reading these scary stories about the possibilities of an avian flu epidemic moving from birds to humans because now it's apparently moved to to other mammals besides humans well are we ready for that probably not <laughs> homelessness is a ubiquitous problem in the in the in the U.S., um, and that involves housing, obviously, but health and mental health, education, public safety, employment services, banking. <laughs> if you think of homelessness as, a, homelessness as a downstream problem, there's a lot of upstream stuff that has uh, that results in homelessness. Racial gaps in education, income, and wealth. So one of the areas that I, my work has been focused on a good bit for the last... Uh, six or seven years, is uh, helping organizations whose purpose is to uh, support uh, entrepreneurs of color and minority owned businesses. And that involves a lot of things besides what we just narrowly think of as business. It involves, uh, you know, education, banking, uh, supply chains, (laughs) all sorts of stuff. Um, You know, we talked about public safety, broadly defined, uh, which involves the police, communities, mental health. Professionals, criminal justice reform, education, climate change—you uh, can look at any one of the sustainable development goals, and it's it crosses every boundary you can imagine. So these these challenges are are these cross boundary challenges are are increasingly ubiquitous, and we simply need approaches, effective approaches, to address them if we're we're going to survive and thrive as uh, as as human beings and as uh, in a free country, and so on. So,
1: what does it mean, John, for our audience? What do you? What does it mean when they say do something at scale? And where I'm going with this is, you know, leading strategic management uh, or strategy management at scale builds on organizational strategic management, but differs in significant ways. And I, I want to understand what are some of the challenges at scale. What does that mean?
2: Yeah. So, at the at scale in that. Uh, phrasing uh, means at the scale of the problem to be addressed. At the scale of the problem to be addressed. So homelessness. I mean, the scale of that problem is uh, is uh, huge. Um, although, in, although in important ways, it's less than it used to be. So homelessness for veterans is way down uh, compared to what it was uh, because of interventions in the the various systems that affect veterans. Um, so there are way there's way, ways of making progress. Actually, the 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 uh, the management of the pandemic uh, by, and I don't mean where someone was wholly in charge. The management of the pandemic, where lots of different people were in charge of different parts of the system, actually is quite remarkable when you think about it. I mean, yes, a million Americans died, but um, without um, sort of co-aligned efforts of thousands of organizations, a lot more would have died. So anyway, uh, back to your question about some of the, the sort of challenges and differences that strategy management at scale brings. Uh, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is just simply helping people, help helping groups of people really, move their thinking up a level from the organizational level to the system level. So, this means going beyond the organizational level to thinking systemically across organizational boundaries and often across levels as well. So the emphasis on on systems thinking is well involves um, understanding. It includes uh, understanding the interactions among often a very broad range of of uh, stakeholders, uh, possibly coalition members, community members, and and the, and their effects that can undermine collective achievement. So one, I don't know, sort of pressing example right now, I, I was hiking in Southern Utah with my wife uh, a couple of months ago and efforts to manage the Colorado River. are uh, That is a huge strategy management at scale problem where there's more water is being taken out than is coming in. And uh, there all the states are involved, the federal government's involved, but cities, counties, individuals, efforts uh to, I don't know, cut back on lawn watering or whatever are necessary in order to actually have that ecosystem captured by the the Colorado River basin survive and thrive. So what's what's going on out there uh is uh in part leadership that is uh far more horizontal than vertical. You know, negotiations among states for sure, but also Substate negotiations, uh, um, negotiations with the federal government uh, uh, as a as a partner. So, leadership, so the, the thinking has to be different, trying to understand the system. Leadership has to be different in that it's far more horizontal than vertical. And part of what's more horizontal is that organizations are typically involved voluntarily, there may be mandated connections and so there are there are mandates for the states involved in the Colorado River Basin to try to work it out together but no, no one is an overall charge and able to give orders and to expect uh, and expect them to be followed um so somehow you have to work on developing mutually beneficial and mutually reinforcing actions. Uh, to keep coalitions or community members involved, and this comes through systems to thinking, support dialogue, government financial and performance
3: and accountability, um, financial and systems commitment. must meet certain standards, so, and relying um, on outdated financial the systems different. inhibits progress.
2: ERP vendors are encouraging different. clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies differs. such as robotic process so automation, strategy, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity.
3: Um, Download the uh, IBM Center a, a Report Financial Management for the involved, Future are, a business at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve in, to meet the demands management of a digital at world.
2: Scale, virtually everybody's an outsider.
3: <laughs> the Ebola crisis in West Africa from, from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis uh, on global capacity to respond to international so disasters. In, in how can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them?
2: To be the, the IBM Center Report Responding to
3: Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitmer breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis. In, in and provides insights scale, on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the
2: future. And, uh, Download your free copy Responding evaluation. to Global Health Crisis
3: at Business Typically of Government in situations
2: where, where there's not an evidence base, really, to work with. So engaging in formative and summative evaluations, which tend to be much more project or program focused and to, you know, try to make use of evidence, um, in strategy management scale, often there isn't any evidence, and there is no program. Uh so you, what what you need to work on is is principles that make sense to guide action um and and then you evaluate the extent to which the principles are followed and what the effects are of doing so or not and you make use of developmental evaluations meaning evaluating developments and making sense of them and figuring out what what to do next what what would you recommend based on that so evaluation tends to be really quite different another difference is um sort of what I would call uh, resourcing in general. <laughs> so uh, an, an organizational strategy typically answers the question, what are we going to do and what resources do we have to do it with? And uh, um, a coalition or community strategy and working on strategy management at scale is, is really focused on a different kind of question, which is what is it going to take to achieve the desired outcomes and what resources might we be able to get to do that? So in these strategy management scale efforts, the coalitions or the groups involved, they almost never know where the resources will come from and how much they will have to spend. So they use the strategy map as a way of, of articulating and understanding of what the challenge is and, and as a way of attracting others to contribute resources to accomplish different parts of the of the strategy. So it's a it's kind of a very different sort of focus so that's resourcing in general funding specific funding also also tends to differ so um in organizational strategic management um the funding is typically um it's predicated on and it's specific to uh the organization's mission and does not encompass addressing issues beyond the organization's competence um and uh and, and also, this is kind of back to evaluation, some and to mandates. In, in organizational strategic management, organizations addressing social issues are often required to focus on an evidence-based intervention, which can, in my experience, often limit strategy choices in really unfortunate ways. Um, because most of the research that's around to build an evidence base is focused on uh, isolated interventions, not on system thinking strategies, uh, that weave together, you know, mutually reinforcing ac- activities, often over several years. So, in in strategic management scale, that instead of trying to pick the correct or evidence based isolated intervention, uh, it often involves working backward from desired outcome objectives using a using a system thinking approach. Um. And prompts uh, innovative thinking <laughs> about new possibilities uh, beyond uh, sort of narr- more narrow evidence-based uh, interventions. So, th- and this is where a strategy map can be really powerful because it creates a visual depiction of of this system's thinking. Um, and I guess one more in, in relation to very specific funding. One of the real challenges I find, especially in this work I, that uh, I've been involved in with uh, trying to help entrepreneurs of color, is that and, and my, my, minority-owned businesses. That um, it would really help if funders would focus their their own strategies, like foundations, if they'd focus their own strategies on addressing cross-organizational, often cross-sector challenges, and building the coalition capacity to address these challenges. And staying in the game long enough to make a significant difference at the system level. So in my own experience, I've been working with this this collaboration of um, nonprofits in the uh, Twin Cities of Minnesota, whose purpose is to support entrepreneurs of color and minority owned businesses. Well, they're all funded by the same foundation. So it's not that's actually an overstatement. They all compete, they do compete with one another, for funding from foundations and other, other kinds of organizations. And so a reason for the collaboration was to try to overcome the fragmentation in the ecosystem of support for minority-owned businesses. But the funders' strategies actually reinforce the fragmentation. So here they say, here, here's money to help you do your work. <laughs> but we're <laughs> but, but the way we give you the funding is going to make your work a lot harder. So um, I think funding by uh, governments, but also by foundations um needs to change if there's going to be real progress made in addressing some of these uh cross-boundary challenges. <clears throat> so those are those are a few of the ways in which uh which it differs. I mean there are other ways prioritization differs, implementation, action plans, responsibility, performance, accountability, all of those differ uh, between um Uh, organizational strategic management and strategy management at scale. So it's really a very different way of thinking. Yes, organizational strategy management matters, absolutely. But if you're going to make headway against these bigger problems, you need to supplement that with these different kinds of thinking and approaches.
1: What are the benefits of strategy mapping?
2: We'll explore this question
1: and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns.
3: How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, A Practitioner's Framework for Measuring Results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT Management Framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download A Practitioner's Framework for Measuring Results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today.
1: Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring the value of strategy mapping with Professor John Bryson, author of the IBM Center Report, Addressing Complex and Cross-Boundary Challenges in Government, The Value of Strategy Mapping. Your report does a wonderful job uh, visually explaining the tool known as uh, strategy mapping, but I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit more, John, maybe... To the extent possible, you could tell us, uh, describe for us what, what strategy mapping actually entails, what it looks like, um, how do these maps kind of show the interrelationship of a set of changes? And, and more importantly, and, and maybe more m- more doable, is what kind of questions should we be asking when we engage and use this tool, strategy mapping?
2: Sure. <clears throat> um... Well, strategy mapping is it's uh, it's part of a very large class of tools, uh, which are the statement uh, statement and arrow diagrams. So um, a map is a particular a strategy map is a particular kind of uh, statement and arrow diagram so that the uh, the statements in in strategy mapping are. Uh, my colleagues and I try to always have be phrased as actions. You know, get, buy, produce, create, develop. You know, they all they all would start with a verb, <clears throat> and uh, and the statements are linked with arrows. So the arrows indicate a causal link of some kind, and I'm using cause causal uh, quite loosely here. Um, I mean, t- more typically, it means might might cause. Might cause <laughs> will result in influences. So A, if you do A, it might result in B. Uh, although you may actually have good evidence that it really will result in B. So I'm I'm speaking to you uh, and uh, uh, my voice, my ability to do so depends on me breathing. <laughs> so if I keep breathing, I'm likely, I will be, ke- I can keep speaking. If I quit breathing, I will stop. I mean, so sometimes the, uh, the, the arrow really is a causal arrow. So these these chains of arrows that you get really produce lines of argument. They're uh, lines of their means ends uh, linkages or uh, a sequence of if then uh, relationships. If you do this, this is likely to happen, or that is likely to happen. Um, so um, think of uh, a whole bunch of statements linked by arrows, and you start to get a picture of what a strategy map looks like, but there's more to it than that. So to work up a chain of arrows, you just keep asking, what would happen if we do that? Or what would the consequences be of doing that? And you just keep asking that question to, to work up a chain of arrows. And ultimately, uh, if if you're in a strategy mapping situation, uh, ultimately towards the top of that map, toward well, let me say that differently. Towards the end of the chains of arrows, you're likely to find uh, mission and goals. You know, ultimately, if we do all these things, we we may actually, this might happen, which is is actually our goal. <laughs> and, and if we achieve that goal, we're on our way to achieving something f- even further up the chain of arrows, which is our mission, our, our, our purpose. To work down a chain of arrows, you, you ask a different set of questions. You ask, um, wh- what would it take to do that? if we want to do X, what do we have have to do to make X happen? And again, to work down a chain of rows, you keep asking that question. So um, in the case of uh, a lot of strategy mapping uh, exercises that I've been involved, in, you can end up with maps that have anywhere from 100 to several hundred statements uh, linked by arrows. And this may be jumping ahead to a question that you'll ask later but when when developing a strategy map uh my colleagues and I almost never start by asking people what their goals are because in terms of a map almost almost always when you ask people what their goals are you get a strategy so we don't start by saying what are your goals because <laughs> we're, we're going to let the strategies emerge from the conversation so once once you've you've and we and we typically use three questions. so this is back to a part the part of your question the que- part of your question where you're asking what questions to ask. So we my colleagues and I when we're working with a group to develop a strategy map, typically start with the question what do you want to do um, and the answer to the answer to that question is is uh, typically <laughs> some sort of strategy. But anyway, we, we we ask that question and and uh, get those statements out and link by arrows. And then we say, well, all right, how, how would you do that? And in terms of the, the structure of a map, that question, how would you do that, is working down a chain of arrows. So that the you're working down, but the arrows are all pointing to this thing that you want to do. So there's a there's a little confusion <laughs> when I say working down a chain of arrows. The arrows are actually pointing up, but you're simply going back down the chain of logic. And then we'll ask, well, okay, if you do all these things that you want to do, what would happen? What would, the, what would the consequences be? And that question helps people ladder up. The language is usually laddering up the chains of arrows into their goal system, and ultimately to their to their mission. And uh, Typically, in situations I've been involved in, the the resulting map will have anywhere from a hundred to a few hundred statements. And the group will identify what, towards the ends of the change of arrows, they will claim as their mission. And then uh, what between the strategies and the mission they would claim as goals. And what further down the arrows are what they would choose as actions that they are committed to taking. So um it for you know, <laughs> first first you sort of make a mess <laughs> with all these statements and arrows all over the place. And then the group engages and engages in what I would call mess management, you know, figuring out, okay, out of all this stuff we might do, what are we really committed to here? Uh, and why in terms of achieving our goals and and our mission. So fairly long response to your to your question, but let me, let me add. Why does this work? <laughs> you know, why does strategy ma- mapping work, especially in these sort of complicated systems? And I would I would say uh, for um, a couple of reasons, or more than two, but strategy mapping works because it makes use of two of our great human abilities. To think, that's one. And the second one is to make symbolic representations, like words and arrows. And we can use those two great abilities that we have to overcome two of our great disabilities. (laughs) Uh, The first of which is just simply the limitations on our short-term memories. You know, the usual uh, rule of thumb is that we humans can keep in in short-term consciousness seven plus or minus two pieces of information. Well, if you think of any issue of any consequence, there's way more than seven plus or minus two pieces of information involved. So the map the map provides external memory uh, and that, that's important. So that then we can focus our attention on other parts that still need some, need some thinking. <laughs> the other great disability that we have is uh, we have a really super hard time taking into account feedback effects. And if you think, again, if you think of any of these uh, big challenges, the feedback effects are all over the place. And we just simply, our brains are not capable of, of uh, dealing with that. So just a simple example is uh, of a feedback effect. Just think about compound interest. That um, if, if if you invest, <laughs> uh, if you, Michael, invest uh, $1,000 at five and three quarter percent interest, uh compounded annually um, at 10 years how much would you have and i'm I'm looking at my watch right now (laughs) so uh, i'm still waiting for that answer (laughs) feedback effects don't get any simpler than that and yet we humans just simply we need calculators and all sorts of other stuff to try to find an answer and again in these these think about pandemics it's just the the or homeless and homelessness, any of those things, the feedback effects are massive. Well, well mapping can help track those effects and create an external representation. Uh, then a lot that then allows us to focus on well, okay, what are we going to do about it? What or what might we do about it that that would make make a difference? So, I hope that's a good gonna... enough. Yeah, no, that's great. It, it
1: actually is a nice segue into I'd like to sort of distill certain aspects of this activity and why it's so beneficial. And you eloquently point that out today, but you also put it in your report. Um, But John, I was wondering, can you explain the value of alignment and why it's so important when you're co-creating a strategy map?
2: Yeah. um, Well, the, the, uh, there's the the alignment that's created in the map itself, and then the alignment that you hope is created on the part of the the stakeholders who've been who've been constructing the map. Um, so the the mapping helps them understand the system they're trying to address and what they or their organization might do when others are doing their 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 thing <laughs> that would jointly make headway. Uh, against whatever the ch- the challenge is, and I was trying to think of a a good example here. Um, think about a busy street that has intersections and has pedestrian crossings. And think about when how how it is that um, uh, when the light changes, and pedestrians can move, and and they don't they don't know anybody they're with <laughs> who's in this group that's moving. Uh, and they have no idea what the the group's objective, you know, individuals' objectives are, or what their history was, and where they went to high school, and you know why. You know, they all get across the street, and nobody's hurt. And they get across before the light changes. Now that's alignment, and uh, all it took was a few simple rules: wait till the light changes, walk quickly enough that you can get across before the light changes back again, and keep a few inches away from everybody else. And boom! All of a sudden, you get a bunch of people across uh, across an intersection who don't know each other, who never talked about what their purposes were, <laughs> um, but they still accomplish something pretty amazing because of this distributed information processing guided by a simple, a few simple rules. And uh, that's the power of alignment on a very, you know, on a very small scale. I can also give you give you uh, an example of. A personal example that that changed my life uh, enormously i was, some years ago i was uh, uh in new york city and i was at times square i was going to cross times square with you know this huge chunk of people none of whom i knew and uh uh so i'm waiting there at the curb and the light changes and i was about to step off the curb all of a sudden, somebody grabbed the back of my jacket and jerked me back. I thought I was being mugged, <laughs> you know, in, in it, which, would, which, which was totally incongruous because I'm in the midst of all these people, right? <laughs> I mean, who would who would do something like that? And it, it turns out that a guy was standing behind me who was taller than I was, and he could see that a taxi was running the red light and that if I had stepped off the curb, I would be dead. He jerked me back. I didn't even get a chance to thank him. By the time I turned around, he was already walking off you know, in some other direction. So alignment, I mean, there's a there's a, a case of uh, an additional rule being invoked, which is don't let anybody break the rules. <laughs> and and uh, uh, he saved my life. And I, again, I have, I have no idea who the person was. And here's my initial reaction was, the guy's out to get me when, in fact, he was out to save my life. Um, So anyway, in the case of some of these big challenges, you need people to be doing things, not necessarily knowing anybody else involved, particularly in the system, but doing them that, if done, would help make progress against this, whatever the overarching goal and you make use of this of this this um, the understanding of the system to make sure that the things done uh, that people agree to do don't actually have unintended negative effects. And so that the cumulative impact of all these organizations, coalitions, individuals doing things is far more positive than it would be otherwise.
1: John I was wondering, um when you use strategic or strategy mapping as part of a strategy development exercise and implementation, how can the mapping prompt its users to see how implementation of a specific strategies can actually change the situation so how does it give them a uh, you know a step back?
2: Well, it's part of it but here's a case where the the visual representation of the system and the strategies um, makes a difference so in in mapping uh, either you can do it manually we have people writing on post-its or whatever or whiteboards or you can do it uh, electronically but people make contributions uh in typically in strategy mapping again we the contributions we seek are actions and people get to see what what they've said uh so their contribution is up there they also get to see what others contributions are and one one of the good aspects <laughs> of you know, productive aspects of strategy mapping is that you can have parallel parallel contributions you don't have not everybody has to wait their turn you, just everybody puts their stuff up and then people work in, on trying to organize it and so you get speed uh from out of that. And you get people to then concentrate on, well, how do these ideas fit together? So from a psychological perspective, one of the things that's going on is that we, there are these two different psychological functions that we have. Uh, One one is creativity. We can all think of all kinds of stuff. That's part of, that's part of what we humans are good at. We're also real good at being judgmental, (laughs) which is, you know, the other aspect of it. And so mapping, helps avoid what often occurs in group sessions where the purpose is to figure out what should we do about something or other so in a, in a in a in a standard meeting that I've been involved in way too many times over the years uh we're supposed to figure out what to do about something and somebody some brave soul says we should do X and then this group goes over and we just beat that idea to death for. Forty-five minutes, and then another brave soul says, "Well, we should do Y." So, uh, since we can't do X, the <laughs> group goes over and beats that idea to death for forty-five minutes. So, at the end of ninety minutes, you have two dead ideas. Uh, everybody uh, congratulates themselves, declares victory, and leaves the room. Um, mapping has worked very differently than that, <laughs> where you you can get a map with a hundred statements on it easily in an hour, partly because you separate. The judgmental stuff, which is what keeps people beating an idea to death for 45 minutes, you separate the judgmental part from the creativity part. You get the ideas out there and then you get people's judgment to, to work on. Well, how do, how are these things connected? Uh, that's one aspect of the judgment. And the next one, what do we think we ought to do about this, which is a different kind of, uh, yet another judgment. So you separate, you you get a better balance between idea creation and idea um, evaluation, and once you have a map up on on a, on a wall or on a, on a big screen, or not even such a big screen, uh, people can can liter- be able to literally say, "Oh, I see what you're saying." And once they reach agreements, they can quite literally be on the same page. So mapping is a way of just helping make make those things uh, work happen. And it does it partly by making use of our human ability to be very creative, uh, and then keeping under in 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 uh, reasonable uh, presence our our ability to to judge things. So, John, you've you've mentioned uh, you've mentioned a host of benefits to using
1: strategy mapping. I was wondering if you wanted to elaborate on any more.
2: Actually, I, let me let me mention a few more benefits. So one of one of the benefits is that we've all been in groups where there's sort of verbal aggressors who just sort of take over. Uh, map, mapping basically allows, uh, at least with good facilitation, allows everybody to speak and be heard. Um, and, and and by doing that, it, it presents much more information to people to to make sense of. And in my experience, that that kind of activity just engages people. So there's a, a, a stimulation that comes along with it. So instead of being bored out of their mind because some blowhard's talking for an hour, they uh, they're all engaged, and in a, typically, and again, with good facilitation and decent norms, in a very respectful kind of way. And by pulling all this all this information, get, having all this additional information to present, it it also it helps people recognize patterns in the data and that can be extremely useful it can help people understand these feedback effects that we talked about and in general it just helps people uh just think smarter than they would uh individually and then and because it's been engaging and people are there (laughs) and and participating it helps build commitments commitments to action and I will I will say I I have been doing mapping now uh for uh I learned how to do it first in I don't know, sometime in the late 80s. So I've been doing it for four years. I have never done mapping with a group where they didn't somehow reconstrue the world in a different way. Not necessarily a big way, sometimes a very big way, but not not always. But but always uh I've seen some kind of some kind of uh reconstrual of the world based on the use of the technique with, with others who bring their own ways of thinking and their own ideas and thoughts. Uh, so John
1: going from benefits to some drawbacks, what are some challenges uh, to being successful in this
2: area? So uh downsides it can uh, mapping typically benefits certainly with large groups benefits from having a skilled skilled facilitators that uh or a facilitator or facilitators who who have some experience with mapping so they know mapping well enough. They practiced it well enough with their family or their friends or their work groups that they can focus on the group and they don't have to worry too much about remembering how the technique works. Uh, so that that can be important. Uh, it's also important that, that you have people people in the room who are willing willing to be in the room. So I've been in situations where there are people who are basically intent on sabotaging the process. So you you don't particularly want saboteurs there um so you need to think well it's like strategic planning or strategy generally you need to be you need to think strategically about how how to do strategy mapping uh and how it fits into your larger larger purposes because it's just a tool it's just a technique um so it needs to fit into some kind of larger larger process um it it can large maps uh present kind of a data management problem so that's where some softwares can can often be helpful uh so you have to have access to those and know how to use them um what else there's some pe- there are some people who simply don't think visu- visually very very well and i so i've encountered this occasionally not all that often but there are some people who just i, I don't think that way uh which is uh, a little incomprehensible to me because I, I I I think in pictures mostly. <laughs> um, but there are people who don't don't do that. Um, it can be a challenge if you're if people have certain kinds of um, issues, like they're, say they're very hard of hearing, or uh, they're visually impaired, or so. In situations like that, you ha- you have to make accommodations uh, to uh, so that everybody can participate. And and feel like they're 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 included, so they're, I mean those are things that you just I mean any kind of facilitation you have to think about, um, but especially when it comes to to the uh, to visual mapping uh, not being cited <laughs> is a challenge.
1: How can government leaders use strategy mapping to change the way they lead? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns.
3: How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yanyan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.
1: This is The Center of This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What are key leadership qualities for a digital age? How can we become a mindful leader? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Jacqueline Carter, co-author with Rasmus Hugard of The Mind of a Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. First, Why is it critically important and almost foundational to understand how you lead and who you are?
0: When we looked at a lot of leadership development programs today, they will start with external factors, Mm -hmm. like how good you are at strategy or how good you are at marketing or how good you are at finance. But it's kind of like building a house and starting with a roof. If you don't fundamentally understand who you are and how you show up, and most importantly, and this is really the mind of the leader, gets into how your mind actually works – then you're really missing out on the opportunities to be able to dive deeper into how you want to show up. What is your vision for yourself as a leader? What are the values that are important to you? And Based on those values and that vision that you have for yourself of what kind of leader you want to be, how can you actually make sure that you work towards achieving those? And I think specifically for a lot of leaders, what we saw is that what got you here won't get you there. So leaders who are really successful rising up through the ranks in their career, they get to this inflection point where all of those great things that they were really good at. And when they get put in that that one leadership role where now they actually have to get others to be creative, others to be able to develop. The projects and tools and systems, it takes a different mind.
1: More information on this and other Center resources is available at BusinessOfGovernment.org. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring the value of strategy mapping with professor john bryson author of the ibm center report addressing complex and cross-boundary challenges in government the value of strategy mapping you know john you mentioned in your response there that uh, it, it, a lot of this rests on good or solid facilitation and the question i have is you know i was wondering how mapping kind of engages people stimulates excitement and allows people to speak and be heard. And you said, yes, it does as a platform, as an engagement, as an activity, but it really does rest on who's kind of leading the charge or working with the group to engage in the mapping exercise. How critically important is it to have a good facilitator?
2: Well, so groups, if groups have used mapping before, they... Uh, you know, they, they can facilitate themselves. (laughs) Uh, so that, that's a possibility. And, uh, but if it's a first time through for people, they're not really familiar with mapping and, and the group is, you know, reasonably large, it really helps to have a facilitator. Now the, the, one advantage of, of, uh, so sometimes, sometimes it's hard to get people into the room to do mapping because they, they don't know how to do it. And they're, uh, they're resistant for that reason. But one of the great virtues of, of mapping is that it's so transparent that once people just see it at work uh, a bit, they get it. And uh, uh, so the facilitation doesn't, so, you know, heavy-handed facilitation is not needed typically. It's just showing people, here's how it works. And uh, and then people can, you know, follow along. And um, so what i what i would recommend for people who are interested in mapping is read some of the literature that's available on it and is referenced in the the back of the the IBM report um and and just practice it first with a with a group of friends small group on on a question that's not a big deal <laughs> or practice it with your family where where do we, where do we want to take a family vacation just map it out and then Rehearse that a couple of times with larger groups and then uh, to the point that you're pretty, pretty uh, comfortable with the technique and then go on to larger, higher stakes kinds of, of mapping exercises. But the, the idea is that the facility, whoever's kind of leading the the event should be familiar enough with the technique that they can focus on the group <laughs> and what they're doing and not have to spend all their time thinking about, well, now what do I do in mapping? <laughs> John, I was wondering, is there anything else that maybe
1: you'd like to recommend for folks, leaders who are thinking about pursuing uh, strategy strategy mapping in general?
2: One of the things that uh, that I, I've always said is that you, you use strategy mapping when thinking matters. Thank God for most of what we do in a day. We don't have to think very much about it. And if we did, we'd never get out of bed. And uh, you use strategy mapping when you have an issue or a challenge that is worth spending some time on, worth thinking about. And think of mapping as a way of of sorting sorting out what, what is the system, what are the pieces of this system that's causing trouble we want or we want to improve? How do they fit together? What leads to what? What does that look like? You can use mapping for that. And once you have something, like it, you say, "Well, okay, we're, we're, what could we do? How could we intervene in this system that would likely lead to improvements?" And think about the, uh, all the arrows as hypotheses. You know, you can go out and test them. D- d- if we do this, do we do we actually get what we think we were going to get, <laughs> or do we get something else? If you get something else, well, then remap. Uh, it's not one and done with mapping. You just use it as an aid to thinking. Or in situations or for situations where thinking really m- can make a difference. So that that's one of the things that I would say. And the other was I I would just say try it out and practice it. Make it a part of your practice because in my experience, mapping can really make a difference. And I I can I can give you a uh, one example. Um, so I mentioned these meetings that I've been in way too many of where we, we spent an hour and a half and. Don't come up with any good ideas, and and the ones that we do come up with, we kill. Uh, I've made it a ha- my habit for many years now. If I'm in a room that's going to be engaged in some where where the the task is some sort of problem solving task, uh, I try to sit near a whiteboard, and as people talk, I simply write. I take their statements down, write them on the whiteboard, and I start constructing a map out of it, you know, people will say, well, we should do X, or we should do Y, we should do, I, I put X, Y, Z <laughs> down. And then people will talk about how you would do that. Okay, that's that's working down a chain of arrows. People will say, well, if we, we, but we want to accomplish this, which is somewhere up at the top of a chain of arrows. I just start writing this stuff down. And pretty soon what you see happening is that the eyes that are focused initially, just simply looking across the table at other people who are sitting there, all of a sudden, the eyes start moving to the whiteboard, and people jointly start. They and and because mapping is so transparent as a technique, people start engaging in map building, in mapping, and it just it speeds up the meeting so rapidly, uh, and and it builds a sort of rapport and commitment, builds understanding. I mean, all these things you need uh, comes up with good ideas worth implementing that can be implemented, and and then after. 90 minutes or an hour and a half, you actually have something. You take you take a picture of it, you email it to everybody, and people go from there. It just so making it a part of your practice, I think, will is is important. And if you do make it part of your practice, people are gonna really appreciate you <laughs> uh because it helps them be more productive.
1: That's a wonderful and uh, I you know, those meetings, it probably focuses everyone. That's a great anecdote. Well, John, I want to thank you. Uh, for joining me today. But uh, more importantly, I want to thank you for your efforts for the IBM Center and your great report. It was a real pleasure working with you.
2: Well, likewise, it was a real, a lot of fun to work on it. And I, I, I hope uh, it gets more people to do mapping. Nothing would happen.
1: <laughs> this has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors with Professor John Bryson, author of the IBM Center Report, addressing complex and cross-boundary challenges in government the value of strategy mapping be sure to join us next time for another informative insightful and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness until then subscribe download and listen to the entire interview at podcast one itunes or on your favorite podcast app and as always at businessofgovernment.org for the business of government hour i'm michael keegan and thanks for joining us